0: Are you ready to rock? Well, I. Yes. It's Schmanners. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy.
1: And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And
0: you are listening to Shmana.
1: It's extraordinary etiquette
0: for ordinary occasions. You join us already in the <laughs> Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How are you? I'm well. I think I could keep that voice up for a little bit. It's kind of my David Attenborough. It is a little bit. Now, join us as we look at the lemurs. There they are. Oh, no, wait. That's a tree. <laughs> um... Oh man, I'm pretty good at that. You are a little <laughs> I'm good at that. Pretty good. Nice. What do you mean a little good. Pretty good.
1: Pretty. I, I mean, said pretty good. It's not. It's not quite David Attenborough, but it's okay.
0: How? In front of our kids. <laughs> In front of our kids, the listeners.
1: It's okay, children. Mommy and daddy still love each other, even when they fight.
0: About daddy's David Attenborough?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Whales. All right, um, so... Speaking of David Attenborough... What? Who is a uh, a fixture of BBC's sure. uh, program Where running... Where are you going? Where are you going with this? Let's talk about Norman Rockwell. I mean, I get... Who is also a fixture of the... Um, united he's Uh recognizable
0: (laughs) oh i'm enjoying this
1: completely recognizable
0: okay you you just fell down a conversational (laughs) cliff and bumped so many rocks on the way down are you okay yes that looked very painful so here's the thing i i suggested norman rockwell as a topic Did because we often do bios on the show, uh, Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's people who have like directly influenced etiquette. uh, You know, like uh, Emily Post, for example. Yes. Sometimes it's people who uh, have had a big impact on culture, right? Mm -hmm. That, like, when we think about blank, it's unavoidable, right? Right. And so, when I think about the term Americana, Mm -hmm. one of the things that's like, oh, you know what sums that up. Norman Rockwell. Oh, I think that's right. I think Norman Rockwell's art had, and this is where it gets weird, right? Because I don't know anything about him beyond like him having a very definite visual style mm-hmm. that, like, you see it and like you're like, that's Rockwellian, right? It's a
1: real illustrative style, and we'll we'll go through it. But um, here, but
0: here's the reason okay. I think it has an impact is. As someone who did not grow up in the time that Norman Rockwell captures in his illustrations, it has become a like that is what I picture mm-hmm. when I think of those things. It's a lot like I was thinking about it this morning, it's a lot like Gene Shepard uh and and specifically Christmas Story. Yeah. Where it's like a time way before me mm-hmm. and it has become a reference point for me with no idea if it's accurate or not. Right.
1: right. Well, I mean it's it's also a little bit like the movie *Grease*, right? right, which is a portrayal of the '50s through a '70s
0: lens. It's something we do a lot here mm-hmm. in the U.S., where we're like, "Oh, you know, you know, uh, the the '20s, like *Great Gatsby*." And it's like, I don't know mm-hmm. if that's super accurate, yeah, right. And it's like we have all of these like historical fiction things, yeah. And like that becomes our understanding of history. It's almost like we're bad at history here <laughs> in the U.S.
1: Almost. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to go through a little bit of, uh, of Norman Rockwell's bio here, um, and you will learn that some of the things that you associate with, with his illustrations, um, you knew, and some of them you didn't. Can I say one more thing? Sure.
0: The thing that I think is most... Uh, like the thing that I think makes Rockwell illustrations so uh, like famous, and I think that has captured the hearts and minds of people who look at them, is they tell a story, right? Definitely. And every illustration is like, oh, okay, this is a single snapshot in the middle of something that's going on, whether it's kids on their way to go fishing or the one that always pops in my mind is the little girl sitting outside the principal's office while the principal is talking to her parents and she has a black eye. And it's like, okay, yep, I know exactly what happened before this. The
1: one I picture is the Thanksgiving
0: one with the big turkey. Right. And it's like, I know exactly what's happening in this without like any dialogue bubbles or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a very clear story. Okay.
1: Well, so if you, our listeners, are interested in Norman Rockwell, there's a PBS American Masters documentary of that's available on YouTube. Recommended. Okay. Um, so when you think about Norman Rockwell, what do you think about his upbringing?
0: You know, the only thing that pops in my head is I would bet $150 that he was a Boy Scout. Like, that's it. That's the only thing. Maybe grew up near the old fishing hole. Hmm. Um, farmhouse. Uh, can I tell you, I'm completely talking out on my butt here, because I can't even tell you what Norman Rockwell looks like, <laughs> let alone.
1: Well, you're not alone. You're not alone in thinking that perhaps an idyllic country lifestyle.
0: Yeah, I don't know necessarily, but definitely like small town. No. Oh, okay. Uh,
1: Norman Rockwell was born and raised in New York City. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I was. I Not was. A lot of
0: fishing holes there. No,
1: no. Um, he was a boy in New York, and his family was poor. He used to sit on the roof of the boarding house where they lived and watch Irish and German gangs fight. Huh. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, he grew up in kind of a rougher part of town. Yeah. Um, and really, the only interaction he had with country life was his. His family, his family would like summer in the country, which is not uncommon because um, it was mostly just camping.
0: <laughs> right. You have to imagine living in a boarding house, no air conditioning in mm-hmm. the summer in New York City. You want yeah. to go somewhere where there's a breeze and you're not sweltering. Yeah.
1: Um, they moved to a smaller town later in his childhood um, uh, in Westchester County. Okay. So as a child, he is quoted as saying... I was a lump, a log, a long, skinny nothing, a beanpole without beans. All I had was my ability to draw.
0: Okay, so this is like drawing from a very young age. This was not like uh, Dr. Seuss, right? Where it was like, I don't know, maybe I'll try my hand at drawing after the war, right? This was like, right. he had drawn, he was born with a charcoal in his hand. <laughs>
1: well, he wasn't close with his family, and he didn't shine as an athlete or make really great, grades um but this drawing was kind of like how he passed the time how he had fun yeah and what he later became really really good at and famous for yes um so he had he obviously had some stellar talent excuse me Um, but like I said, his grades were poor. Yeah. Um, he was called to the principal's office in early high school and the principal sat him down and said he either had to get serious about school or he had to drop out and go to art school.
0: Okay. That I, if you hadn't said the art school part, I was gonna be like, I'm not a very good principal. Hey. Get serious or, like, stop wasting our time.
1: Well, unfortunately, high school uh, still is a numbers game. And a lot of failing students are um, kind of coerced into dropping out before graduation or, you know, or uh, suggested that they get their GEDs because Mm. the high schools want those good numbers. Mm. Anyway.
0: Mm -mm -mm.
1: um, So he did go to art school. Um, but it's really awesome that he only had two years of high school education and he really like excelled in like the social strata. Right. So he had a lot of social commentary. He had a lot of thoughts about the world and he wasn't, quote, highly educated. Which well, cool. you know,
0: here's the thing. And I, I, I what I'm about to say is a dangerous, dangerous thing to say. Right. Because it's something uh, especially as like a theater kid. Uh, who went on to get their theater degree, it's a discussion that happens a lot mm-hmm. with artists, which is like, well, who even needs school? And the answer is people do. <laughs> it is 2020, uh, school helps. But I do think that there is stuff that like you don't learn in school. And I, I don't necessarily think that so like a social understanding of like, especially when it comes to h- having a commentary in your art mm-hmm. is necessarily like, that grades reflect that Mm -hmm. uh that said i uh went to school and enjoyed it and i i recommend it um so if you can i'm not saying you know some people can't go to college and that's fine but i'm saying if you want to do it so this i'll be proud of you no matter what is what i'm saying as your dad i will love you and be proud of you no matter what thank you are you done uh for now
1: okay In the era before television, um, one one of the most striking visual mediums was illustration. Right. Right. Uh, Magazines, books, um, uh, advertising. It was all pretty much drawn instead of photographed. Um, And so this was... Uh, he Norman Rockwell landed like smack dab in the middle of this era which mm. is probably why he became so iconic and famous
0: right place right time
1: that's right they they call it the golden era of illustration mm. Mm. um he went straight into illustration basically a lot of people go to art school to like become like a you know a classical painter or you know study impressionist style or whatever Um, but he was really good at illustrating and they were really happy to have
0: him you know it's so interesting I guess I've never thought about it before but now it's really clicking for me that probably another reason he is so iconic is that his art was like going to people's homes all the time, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't like hanging in a museum that you had to pay to go see. It was on magazines and in ads and you know everywhere, and so it just was so, so uh, omnipresent. That it became definitive of, like, the time period.
1: Absolutely. I've never
0: thought about that before. It makes complete sense.
1: And it also really helped that he was fast. Yeah. (laughs) He had a really great turnaround period, um, and so he could produce beautiful and thought-provoking art uh, by age 16, 17, and by age 19, he was the editor of a publication called A Boy's
0: Life. Oh, wait, A Boy's Life. That's... That's the uh, the Boy Scout magazine. Mm. I used to get that. My favorite part of Boy's Life was to add stuff on the back where I was like, you could get binoculars, <laughs> and, you know, x-ray specs or whatever. I love that stuff.
1: Uh, but he's not, he's not as well known for a Boy's Life as he is for the Saturday Evening Post.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's you what just, you were going to say. I jumped I into it.
1: And he was only 22 when he gathered up samples and took them to the Saturday Evening Post.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I haven't done anything with my life.
1: Hey, you've done lots of stuff.
0: That's true, and you know what I'm gonna do now? A thank you note to our sponsors. Hey folks, this week we are sponsored in part by Function of Beauty. And listen, I don't know if y'all know this, I'm a bit of a beauty buff. I like feeling beautiful, and Function of Beauty helps me do that because, listen, one-size-fits-all doesn't work when it comes to, you know, cosmetic stuff. And the fact of the matter is I got a dry scalp, and I have dyed hair, and I need, you know, shampoo and conditioner and hair treatments and all that stuff that is fitted perfectly for me, and that's why I love Function of Beauty. Because first, you take a quick but thorough quiz and tell them a little bit about your hair goals. You can even choose the color and fragrance you prefer. I went with like a purple color because it matched my purple hair and it has like a mint thing going on and I love it very much. And then your personalized formula is blended, bottled, and sent right to your door in a cute customized bottle. Mine says Function of Travis and I once again love it very much. Function of Beauty uses only clean ingredients and all of their formulas are vegan and cruelty-free. They never use sulfates, parabens, or any harmful ingredients. So what are you waiting for? Go to functionofbeauty.com slash schmanners to take your quiz and save 20% off your first hair care order. One more time, go to functionofbeauty.com slash schmanners to let them know you heard about it here on our show and get 20% off your first hair care order. That's functionofbeauty.com slash schmanners. We are also sponsored in part by DoorDash. You know, we got two kids. It can be stressful figuring out what's for dinner. And sometimes you look at the fridge and you think, my four-year-old's not going to eat any of this. And you know what? Neither am I because I'm going to use DoorDash. And you can continue supporting restaurants in your community, which is another plus. And it's safe, which is another plus, because they now have a contactless delivery setting where they just bring it to your door. They let you know it's there. They leave. You open the door. You get it. And you don't have to interact with them directly directly. Um, And once again, you can support those restaurants that you love. All you got to do is open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door. So right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order, $15 or more, and zero delivery fees for their first month when you download the DoorDash app and enter code SCHMANNERS. That's $5 off your first order and zero delivery fees for a month when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code SCHMANNERS. Don't forget, that's code SCHMANNERS for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. We also have a Jumbotron this week. We want you to tune in weekly to the Kingdom of Thirst podcast with Abigail Kelly to scratch that romance itch. Welcome to the Kingdom of Thirst podcast, where we celebrate romance novels, the outrageous, the lurid, the bone-melting, and everything in between. Every week, host Abigail Kelly chats with a romance novel rookie to break down a book of her choice in a loving adult-flavored book report. She expects to win them over to the side with all the smooching while making them laugh along the way. Find us on Instagram or Twitter at at KingdomThirst and at Kingdom of Thirst, wherever podcasts are available. Hey, I'm Jared Hill, co host of the brand new Maximum Fun podcast, Fantai.
1: And I'm Travel Anderson. I'm the other, more fabulous co host. And the reason you really should
0: be tuning in.
1: I feel the nausea rising. To be fanti is to be a big fan of something, but also have some challenging or anti feelings toward it. Kind of like Kanye. We're all fans of Kanye. He's a musical genius, but like, you know. He thinks slavery is a choice. Or like the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Like, I love the drama, but do I want to see black women fighting each other on screen? U- oh. To the na, to the nah, nah,
0: nah. We're tackling all of those complex and complicated conversations about the people, places, and things that we love. Even though they may not love us back. Fanti, Maximum fun. Podcast. Ew. Okay, when we last left off, we were talking about all the amazing things I've done with my life. What are some other things I've done with my life?
1: Uh, well, you can't really um, quantify it because it exists in the ether, the ether. Internet.
0: If you don't want to talk about how good my life is, that's fine. It's uh, great. Ha- I, got have, great got I got a great, two great wife, I got a great kids. Two
1: kids, two dogs, one cat. I mean your house is full. Too full. I'm gonna
0: get rid of one of those. And I'm not gonna <laughs> tell you which one.
1: Um all right. Here we are in the year nineteen sixteen. Woo woo woo
0: woo woo That's us traveling back to 19, 19 what year?
1: Nineteen sixteen. And the Saturday Evening Post was considered I, the
0: absolute highest honor in the illustration world. I have no concept of when anything <laughs> happened. You say nineteen sixteen, you might as well say in ancient Rome. When Americans are so bad at history. Why don't I I went to school? Why don't I know anything? I oh know. man, this is a real roller coaster episode <laughs> for me. Oh boy.
1: Um by the way, uh, we talk a lot about, quote, The Post, which is a, a name for a lot of different newspapers. Right.
0: Just like Times.
1: Um, so w- I'm going to refer to as the Saturday Evening Post as The Post. Uh, please, you know, there's also The Washington Post. There's the, all the, all of these there's other the ones. The Post. Nah. But this, I'm talking about Saturday Evening Post. Okay. Okay. Um, so he was accepted
0: uh <clears throat>
1: excuse me okay wait i need to back up a little bit <laughs> if you watch interviews norman rockwell talks about his own awkwardness and nerves saying that he had a special box made for um carrying while well, he made it himself carrying his his work to and in- from editors and things like that, um, and he says that he must have looked like some skinny boy bringing in a, a funeral contraption to his meeting because there was this this box, huge huge box, little guy, right? Um, and he was so nervous going to the post that he was surprised that he they even like accepted his work at all. Um, and art historian Carol Ann Marling said this would be sort of like winning an Oscar the first time you made a movie. Oh, wow. Um, and so he really won the illustration career lottery. They only used uh, red and black in their color prints at the time, the post did. Um, but mass color printing is really where Norman Rockwell is about to shine. Oh, right? yeah. Uh, he Detail. Detail. Detail
0: is that dude's middle name.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Norman Detail Rockwell.
1: It was... I almost
0: said (laughs) Redis. Norman Ritas, a completely different person from Norman Rockwell. Yes.
1: Yes. So once the colorized detail printing was available, the sky was the limit for him. It was perfectly set for him to become an icon. Um, And it said... That he used the covers of the Saturday Evening Post in order to like construct a kind of daydream of the childhood he didn't have.
0: Right. So I think that that plays into the like Americana fantasy, right, that we have of just like, uh, like I said, just like Eugene Shepard and all these things of like remembering this time period with such rose-colored glasses. That it's like okay yeah you're you're erasing a lot of bad stuff in this right yes. like we're not dealing with you know racism not and- yet oh okay go on
1: um so this period is kind of like uh, Norman rewriting his own history kind of like reparenting himself mm-hmm. is the therapy term and Carol Marling says. You don't get the sense when you read Norman Rockwell's autobiography that he had this kind of idyllic barefoot boy with a cheek of tan upbringing for so many years. About the first 15 years of his career, he created this mythical, wonderful land of mischievous boys and mm-hmm. dogs. And is that fake or real? In some emotional way, Rockwell is painting an emotional truth That the truth is he's a city boy from New York who clearly did not like that place. And I think that he didn't like the sense of emotional violence that robbed him of a childhood.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a reason that his art resonated the way that it did. I think a lot Mm -hmm. of people were experiencing that in America at that time. This idea of this. And, oh, man, once again. There are historians and people smarter than me that could speak to this, but I imagine a loss of innocence at this time as we moved from the very late 1800s into the early 1900s and we're having to deal with a lot of stuff that we had not dealt with before, you know, world wars and -hmm. uh, depressions and things like this where people would see this kind of idyllic. Uh, like I, I either remember my childhood being like that, or wish I had gotten to experience that, where it becomes an escape in and of itself.
1: Exactly, it was comfort personified. Right, right. So we think about the Norman Rockwell painting as ah, the good old days. But even those days weren't the good old days.
0: They didn't exist. It wasn't the, real. The, the things that, the things that Norman Rockwell like created were in a perfect world, that's what my memory would have been, literally. Like that's what he was doing. Right, And so people see that and they want to remember this perfect world that didn't exist.
1: So, after a while, you couldn't throw a stick without seeing a Norman Rockwell illustration. Okay, when
0: did Zoe Deschanel get here? Zoe?
1: No, that oh. wasn't Zoe. That was. Yeah, just... It
0: sounded very like your Zoe Deschanel impression. I guess
1: it did, but I mean, it You're was.
0: Sorry, Char- no, that's that's April Ludgate. It Excuse was April
1: Ludgate, is okay. what I was going for. Okay. Um, and even, and then since uh you you couldn't go anywhere without seeing his illustrations he also started to get a little bit of money he yeah. moved to New Rochelle
0: <gasps> New Rochelle
1: uh, Yes a That's... suburb of New York where many famous illustrators had settled
0: That feels ve- is New Rochelle in Great Gatsby or is that just
1: uh, isn't it in
0: It's like New Egg or something right
1: yeah, but I f- I feel long. like New Rochelle is in what's that
0: I've
1: musical seen. Two Ships Passing? Oh, oh, Ragtime. Ragtime. Okay. Um, isn't it? Maybe I, I, I have make, no idea. Who cares? Maybe Go I'm on. making that up. <laughs> anyway, okay. Uh, and it is there that he met Irene O'Connor. Um. Irene was his first wife. He would go on to marry three times. Uh, but he told his son...
0: New Rochelle's Catch Me If You Can.
1: Ah. Uh, okay. Um, he told his son that his... And you were right. Right time. First wife was more of an impulse decision than really a deep romance. Oh, cool.
0: What a cool thing to say, Norman.
1: Well, I mean, here's the thing. Things were on the up and up for him. Right? Right. He was becoming like he was his art was everywhere, he was working at the post, he had moved to New Rochelle, like this was And it sounds like
0: he's pretty young at this point. Yeah. Like mid twenties.
1: This was just the thing that seemed to be
0: next. And you know, it once again makes sense. Not not to psychoanalyze too much here, but hey, if it's what we're doing. If you're looking for an idyllic like ideal life that you didn't have growing up, you know, house, life living in the, you know, like, these are the things that you're like, I've got it now. Money, marriage, house, like, I'm doing it. I'm capturing this thing I didn't have. Whether it's actually the thing you want or not is not really your concern at that point. Yeah.
1: Right. It makes seems, sense. It seems, I mean, she was a pretty young school teacher, and um it it seems that their relationship just wasn't very close. Yeah. Uh It is said that they lived a fairly carefree lifestyle that sometimes included affairs for both of them.
0: I wonder if nowadays they would have been polyamorous. If mm. that would have been if 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 for a couple like them polyamory would have made for a healthier marriage. Mhm. Mm.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Um so this is the 1920s. Norman is traveling all over the place. He goes to Europe, Central America, North Africa, lots of other places. Um, and you can actually see in a lot of his illustrations from the period that the, the children and dogs are, are daydreaming or sitting at a typewriter or holding a book with a cloud above their head, right, that they're imagining themselves in the story they're making, um, this is
0: something we saw uh, with Agatha Christie, too, yeah. right? is like she went to Egypt after her divorce, I believe, and then it was like, well, I love this place. And so, so many of her books after that, like she had a bunch of books set in Egypt, set in, you know, that, that part of the world for a while because she was just so in love with it.
1: Right. Um the traveling really didn't do much for his marriage. Yeah, that'll happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so his his marriage to Irene ended in late 1930s, um, and Norman was sorry in late 1930 the year
0: 1930.
1: Mm. Uh, and Norman was ready to you know try as his bachelor. He was
0: going to bachelor around. He was so going to yeah, bachelor
1: yeah. around a bit. But love found him.
0: When you least expect it, this month on Hallmark Channel.
1: (laughs) Less than a month and a half after Drawing
0: conclusions would be the name. Drawing conclusions. Drawn together. No, drawn drawn together. together, Drawn together would be be that.
1: Less than a month and a half after his divorce, he met Mary Barstow. And according to their son, they were engaged a week later.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. Um, And... (laughs) <laughs> the New York Times ran the story as Mary Barstow, California
0: socialite, Mary's artist. Huh. Okay. <laughs> you know what? Good for you, Mary Barstow.
1: Yeah. Um. And the couple had three sons. Um. And he was, you know, like we said, living the life he thought he always should have.
0: Yeah. And you know what? Now we know uh, one of his sons very well, Sam Rockwell. Probably no, not. No. No? No. no. Okay. Uh,
1: Jarvis, Tom, and Peter.
0: J- Jarvis Rockwell. What a power name. Mm-hmm. Oh, me? I'm Jarvis Rockwell. Get out of my way. I love that name. Can we change BB's name to Jarvis Rockwell? No. Okay.
1: Um. So at this point, you know, we talked about how he he seemed to be like amassing the things, the house, the wife, the kids, all this stuff. Yeah. But he wasn't really fulfilled artistically at this mm-hmm. point. I mean, his stuff was everywhere, but it's not like it was hanging in museums or like this was not the age of like Norman Rockwell poster prints. Yeah, He was basically just selling reproduction rights to his work, to different magazines. Yeah. Right. Um so he wanted to get back to the soul of his work and what do you think that artists do when they want to get back to their the core of their art?
0: What do I think they do? Yeah. Where do they go? Home. No. No, they go to Paris.
1: Paris. Okay. And this time he took his family with him.
0: Ah, so he liked them better this time. I think so. Okay.
1: Um so they all settled in Paris. And his ambition- ah, Perry. Perry. His ambition was to change. Wait, transcend- and this is the
0: 1930s? Yeah. Oh, starting to be pretty troubling over there in Europe, Norman. Uh-huh. Are you sure about all this, Norman?
1: Yeah. Um. Well, he didn't stay there long. Okay, good. So, um, he wanted to transcend the confinements of popular illustration.
0: Okay, sure. I bet that's a, that's the kind of thing that now looking back on someone like Norman Rockwell, you're like, Oh totally, pure artist. But I bet then if like he said that to a friend, he'd be like, All right, Norm, all right. We get it, man. Just go enjoy Paris, dude. Okay. We get, you wanna transcend, blah blah blah. Just have some absinthe and, you know, enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he he continued painting his own personal American dream, even through the depression.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and it's uh, it's thought that at this point in Paris, he really he didn't like expand his horizons he he concentrated them. This yeah. is when his par- his paintings get very, very detailed um and I mean, it's painstaking, really, what he's doing at this point. Um, and the charm starts to wear off,
0: okay. How so?
1: Well, so he wanted people to have the picture of the American like unity and virtual and spirit, mm. but I mean, it's the depression, right? Um, and so he his his work doesn't sell as well. Well, this as is a thing that
0: we see in pop culture a lot, right? Yeah, of just like there is a. Oh, we love these beautiful memories and this beautiful idyllic. And then at a certain point, there comes a, like, "Hey, this isn't the right time for that. This is the time for addressing what is going on in actual society now." And then we swing back to like, "Ah, now we're back to be like." You see it all the time in in the the swing of art throughout the centuries.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and so. He at the the family at the end of the nineteen thirties moves back to the US and they settle in Arlington, Vermont. Uh-huh. Interestingly, he really was just gonna like buy them a vacation home. <laughs> but he fell in love with the area and decided to stay as well. well who
0: wouldn't? Arlington, beautiful Arlington, Vermont. You I've talked about it on this show numerous times. It's the most beautiful city in America. Uh they have the the trees. And uh, all the all oh, all the streams. Sure. And I love the grass there. All the grass, it's delicious.
1: <laughs> so, uh, and this is where his workaholic energy really pays off. Uh, first, he found a community in Arlington that he really enjoyed. Um, he made lots of friends, and people happily posed for him. And you know, he really developed friendships that he hadn't had before. Um, but the one thing that really deepened his work emotionally, World War Two.
0: Yeah, 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 yep. Yeah. That'll happen.
1: Yeah, uh, people in Arlington were deeply affected by the war, as were a lot of people. Um, and you and... have to
0: think, right now we're swinging back towards this like patriotism and like mm-hmm. getting people to enlist and feeling strong about your country and very Americana,
1: right? And this is where. Norman Rockwell goes into his Willie Gillis series. Excuse me? Willie Gillis. Okay. Uh, It's a character that he created as kind of like a a frame of reference for his artistic experience. Um, He was an innocent-faced young military private with a dopey smile um, who graced the Post cover several times. Um, And he went off to war to save his country. And, you know, there was lots of um, lots of that, you know, Go America, over there, like all that over kind of there. stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but the thing that made Willie Gillis different was that he never fired a gun.
0: Oh, I'm looking at a picture of Willie Gillis right now. Indeed.
1: Uh, he was never portrayed in battle. He was not like liberating France or, or like storming the beaches. He didn't shake Winston Churchill's hand. Um, but he would be doing things like cat's cradle or reading his hometown newspaper or um, being, you know, doing kitchen duty. Uh, And and Rockwell hoped that this portrayal of the hometown boy away from home would help people feel better about the war. You had to think
0: at this point, a lot of people... Uh, had family members over there, had sons, had uh, husbands over there, and we weren't able to like text back and forth or email or call easily. Mm-hmm. You were waiting on letters if they got through. So being able to once again project your you know hope for safety and happiness onto this character is providing an idyllic escape that at this point people were looking for.
1: Yes, um, and so the. Norman would only paint one battle scene in his in his painting career, and none of them are for are through willie um, so the the next like milestone in this career was when FDR gave his four freedom speech freedom of speech freedom of worship freedom from want freedom from fear um and he wanted to do something big, right? Norman wanted to do something, um, and so this is the Four Freedoms paintings. Can you look yes, it up? Take a look. Uh, they represented a tenant of uh, each of FDR's dreams. So the first one is a man standing confidently in a town hall meeting for freedom of speech, um, and there are a large group of people facing the same way with their hands uh, clasped almost in prayer freedom of worship
0: oh yes 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 okay i know this one we've i've seen this one Mm
1: -hmm. freedom from fear is a sweet portrait of a young father and mother safely tucking their sons into bed and here comes the the one that i always think of the freedom from want right it's the table of the family table full of family smiling as they you know lay into a huge thanksgiving turkey um and i think that's that's Pretty cool. I I guess I always assumed that that was kind of like Thanksgiving week run. But to find out that this was inspired by the war, by FDR, by these freedoms, it's really
0: cool. Well, and what's interesting... To look at these, and I think one of the things that makes them very special is that a lot of Norman Rockwell things had a little bit, not necessarily humor, but they were quirky, right? There was some kind of quirkiness to the way the character was like smiling or reacting to things or Mm -hmm. whatever. And these are all very like played very straight, right? And and like I think it's part of what makes them very iconic and very impactful. Is there's not a like. There's no quirk to them. It is very straightforward of like this is the ideal of this thing in my mind.
1: Right. Uh There was there was a, a little edge growing to his work though. Um at this time he's very interested in the war effort. Um he hopes to try and use his paintings to sell war bonds, but um he inevitably is really only able to use the post to to help that sort of thing um and an unfortunate occurrence happened oh after the four freedoms gained popularity his studio in arlington burnt down no yeah um so not only did all of his like props and paints and all that kind of stuff he lost a lot of his artwork. Yeah. He decided to travel around the country and make a lot of new art. Um, so he he was always very uh, perfectionist, is it? Perf- he was always a perfectionist?
0: Sure. Professioni- his- professionistic. Yes. Profe- professionista, I think it is.
1: <laughs> um, so much so that the facts of life Painting took eleven months. Whoa. Um and there there had to be there had to be something about this perfectionalism that sure. really showed a lot about his his inner state.
0: Well, I mean if you look, the facts of life painting is incredibly rich. Yes. Like if you look at just the depth of like the carpet the boy's shoes, the cat. It's like so detailed. And once again, here's, oh, okay. Look at the facts of life painting as an example of what I'm talking about telling a story, right, obviously the story is the dad trying to explain the birds and the beast to the kid. But if you look at what's happening, you also see that it is a grown cat and two baby kittens crawling around. And you can think, oh, it's because these kittens were born and the kid asked, where did the kittens come from? And it launched the dad into having to do this awkward explanation mm. of like, oh, OK, OK, OK. Um,
1: so a little more of personal trauma before we move on. Um, his wife, Mary, struggled with anxiety and depression and alcoholism. He himself also Struggled with depression, um, and they moved someplace where hopefully they could both get a little more help. Um, they moved to Stockbridge, Massachusetts, uh, and it probably helped. He still had this really kind of pull between... Selling, like, the beautiful illustrations and his, like, deep artistic inner workings. And unfortunately, Mary died in 1959 unexpectedly of
0: a heart attack. Mm.
1: This is where things get interesting.
0: Oh, they've already been interesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) After Mary's death... Rockwell decided to take a poetry class from a retired teacher named Molly Punderson and fell in love with her oh almost boy. immediately. Um, and it's said by everyone that knew the couple that Molly changed him for the better. Um, and so they, they art critics really think that she's the one we have to thank for his later and more opinionated work. Um, he, she had a very strong social conscience, um, and so she didn't hesitate fighting for causes that mattered to her. Um, and <laughs> one of Norman's closest friends would say to him, thank God Molly made you a liberal.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Um, so here it is. The Portrait of Ruby Bridges. The Problem We All Live With. Uh, she, uh, Molly knew that he could be that Norman could be a powerful influence for the civil rights movement if he used his talent for social justice and this painting is a big deal for a bunch of reasons um, it's the very uh, first uh it's it's until this painting we rarely see black people in Norman Rockwell's painting Norman Rockwell's paintings um, and it that's probably not all his fault the post actually made it clear that they didn't want black people on their covers uh, unless they were in a subservient position um, which is not not out of character for the times but not good Um, and the second one is that you know we hardly ever see any violence happening in in norman's paintings Uh, but
0: wow yeah i'm looking at this painting now it's it's so unlike any Norman Rockwell painting I've ever seen
1: right um you know because it,
0: it, it is to go from paintings that are trying to capture this like perfect idyllic uh, like the oh don't you remember? sitting around the radio with the family, oh papa reading his newspaper to be like, okay, but here is actually a thing that's going on right now that none of us are like actually dealing with.
1: Right. Whew. Um so this is when he starts working uh starts painting more of the civil rights movement. Um and this is when he, his paintings start to come to terms with Instead of the myth, the ideal that he had, like, dreamed up, he started actually painting the America that people were living in. So you see this movement across his work, um, which I think is amazing. I think it's so great, not only where it ends up, but the journey, right? His personal journey, America's journey, it's great. He uh, did illustrations for NASA. He did illustrations for the Peace Corps um, and picked up brand deals with colored televisions. Oh, boy. Uh, Purina cat food was his big thing. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Get paid. Yeah. Right. Um, So if you know where to look, you can see that much of Rockwell's work is profound tributes to common people living through history. Right. Um and this is kind of why people try and like hold him up as some kind of like conservative icon. They kind of say like ah the good old days, this is the way it used to be. Um but he he felt that in his in his later works that he was a good enough artist to be like a famous painter and had like, you know, although he was passed over over and over again as just kind of an illustrator, he wanted to have that
0: so weird to the heart now? in his work. But that's so weird to think of now that anybody would be like, oh, Norman Rockwell, oof. Kind of just an illustrator, right? Like, I I don't know, it's just so iconic of like a, he seems to me to be one of the greatest artists of the, the 20th century. Like, yeah. One of the most well-known artists of the 20th, one of the most recognizable artists of the 20th century, that if you were to see one of his drawings without knowing anything about it, if you have seen one Norman Rockwell drawing, you could pick any illustration of his out of a lineup pretty easily.
1: Right. Um, So his life had ups and downs and stuff, um, but he is said Uh, The story of my life is really the story of my pictures and how I made them. Because in one way or another, everything I have ever seen or done has gone into my pictures.
0: This is fascinating. I'm glad I had this idea. So fascinating, great work. Thank you. Hey everybody, that's gonna do it for another episode of Schmanners. But before we let you go, uh, you have one more day. Uh, Well, I guess, okay, so here's the deal. Uh, tomorrow, Saturday the 19th, if you're listening to this today, on the 18th, we are doing our Candle Nights special. It is going to be going up, uh, you can watch it, I believe at 8 p.m. tomorrow. Um, tickets are at it, it I am look, bits.ly <laughs> slash Candle Nights 2020. Um, it is pre taped, but it is spectacular. There are video segments from MBMBAM, Sawbones, Schmanners, wonderful, still buffering, neat, and special guests. We've announced some of those special guests, and one of them is Strong Bad, and it makes me very happy. <laughs> um, tickets are pay what you want with a $6.25 minimum, and all proceeds go to Harmony House. Uh, one more time, you can get those tickets at bit.ly slash candle nights 2020. Uh, wonderful one of our sister podcasts is uh, doing a live fundraiser for the Austin Bat Cave, which actually has nothing to do with bats. It's a nonprofit organization, which empowers students to find their voices and tell their stories. Tickets are $5. That's on December 29th at 9 PM Eastern time. Uh, more info and tickets available at bit.ly slash wonderful ABC. Uh, we have a podcast book coming out called everybody has a podcast except you. That's going to teach you how to make a podcast you're proud of. And we're doing a book launch event for that January 26th at 9 9 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a free virtual event, and we've partnered with six independent bookstores. If you pre-order from them, you'll get an exclusively designed bookplate designed, uh assigned by one of the three Macroy brothers while supplies last. You can go to bit.ly slash podcast book event for bookstore links and more. Uh, Let's see. The Sawbones book is out in paperback December 29th. It's newly revised and updated for 2020. And you can get that at bit.ly slash Sawbones paperback. And I think that's enough for now.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, but let me thank Brent Black for... Uh, writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone, where those are found. Also, thank Kayla and Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art. That's where we get our questions for our topics uh, at Schmanner's Cast. Um, also, thank you to a Betty, Betty Pinup Photography for the cover picture of our fan run Facebook group, Schmanner's Fanners. Join that. Uh, we're always taking idioms. Alex, uh, our wonderful researcher, thank, thank you, you, Alex. Alex. Uh, reads every email at schmannerscast at gmail.com and we're always taking idioms and topics please send those in
0: and that's going to do it for us join us again next week
1: no RSVP required you've
0: been listening to schmanners 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 get it